season of Don't Shoot the Messenger is brought to you by 91. 91 is an authorized financial service provider. Quick note to our listeners, due to all the public holidays around Easter, our next episode will be released on the 5th of April. In the meantime, we'd love you to catch up on any episodes you may have missed from our previous seasons. There's one about sloths that I'm particularly fond of. Thanks, as always, for your support. If you have driven one of the major urban highways lately, particularly in Johannesburg or Pretoria, you've probably noticed litter piling up along the sides of the road. This is not a new problem, but it's one becoming increasingly visible, at least partly because South Africa is simply running out of places to put its trash. In 2020, our own environment minister, Barbara Creasy, said that the way a country manages its waste is, quote, a fundamental indicator of the extent to which that society is functional. If that's the case, South Africa had better get its shit together. The good news is, there's potentially hundreds of thousands of people ready to help. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger, the daily Maverick podcast where we bring you the stories behind the stories. In our third season, we're looking at solutions to South Africa's problems. In this episode, we're taking on the country's littering epidemic, talking to an activist and an academic who'll help explain why an issue that might seem trivial or a middle-class concern is actually anything but, exploring one of the most successful anti-littering campaigns in history, and speaking to someone who helped design one of those simple but brilliant local products. In this case, a giant vacuum cleaner for the beach. I'm your host, Rebecca Davis. In September 2020, the city of Johannesburg made a rather alarming announcement, which kind of got lost among all the other 2020 madness. The city told its residents, we're running out of space for your rubbish. Officials estimate that Joburg has about four years of space left in its landfills, and then these sites will simply be full. This might seem like a sort of apocalyptic scenario, but it also has been entirely predictable. As a country, we produce a huge amount of rubbish, annually about 55 million tonnes of general waste, by which I mean food and plastic and glass and paper and those kind of materials. We produce an even higher volume of hazardous waste, by the way, but that's a problem for another day. Anyway, somewhere between 70 and 90% of this crap just gets dumped into landfills. As so often with South African issues, we don't have very precise figures, in this case, because we have a really strong and active plastics lobby, which often claims recycling successes which seem overblown. South Africa's own Ministry of the Environment said in a report last year that the country just doesn't really have a recycling culture. In many places, we also don't really have reliable service delivery, which means things which citizens should take for granted like bins being emptied, or like bins even being available, are actually not guaranteed by any means. And what this adds up to, particularly in our cities, is that we're dirty, and we're getting dirtier. When we're talking about littering, we need to take it away from the personal, which is still an important aspect, but we need to take it away from the personal and also look at it from a societal point of view. 
That is Roger Southall, and looking at things from a societal point of view is pretty much his job as an emeritus professor of sociology at WITS. Littering has been on Roger's mind for the last few years. He wrote an opinion piece on the subject in 2018, which he says, incidentally, is one of the pieces of writing he is most often asked to give comment on by the media. I walk my dogs a lot. I've always disliked litter and I have tended to make a habit of picking up a lot of litter and trying to place it in a bin or, or whatever. And it was particularly when I was living in Teng. I'm now living in Cape Town, which for one reason or another, all the parts I live in and where I walk are much less littered than Teng, which of course is the centre of the country's economic activity. And when I used to walk my dogs early in the morning down by the river, you could see littering was all over the place. You've got all sorts of bottles coming down from Alex and Santon and so on. And it was just so terribly visible that it really jarred my consciousness on the issue. I wanted to talk to Roger about South Africa's littering problem because he's got a particularly interesting take on it. It's his hypothesis that littering by private citizens is just one manifestation of a wider problem which has been visible throughout South Africa's modern history. I think there's both personal and societal aspects. And I think basically I see littering, which is a lightweight word, in other words. I think when we think of littering, we think of us throwing away packets. We think of ourselves throwing away cans and bottles. And I think implied in the word littering is its carelessness and it is us being privately selfish. And I think at the heart of it, the meaning of littering is that we are externalising our private rubbish onto the public arena. And that's why I say littering is a lightweight word, because I think if we go back into South African history, we see that uh, South African industrial development has been littered with industrial littering. The industry's waste being poured out onto the land into huge piles near mining compounds and so forth, the littering of our wastewater into rivers and so on. Roger suggests that the carelessness we show as citizens when we toss a can onto the road is mirrored by the carelessness with which our factories spew pollution into the air and our minds bleed poison into the earth, and also the carelessness with which government treats the majority of its citizens. I think our governments, and this goes throughout our history and it's not just local, our governments have generally displayed a lack of care for the large majority of the population. And I think that is probably displayed in the allocation of resources at local level. We know continuously that uh, the former white areas are better off. They have higher resources, they're better cared for, probably in many cases because the local governments know that they are a primary source of rates and they don't want to offend their ratepayers. But it is a circular aspect, which means that the better off areas are better off in terms of waste disposal and so on. And it does mean that the poorer areas are not so well serviced. They are much more subject to litter and to industrial waste and to poor water. And that has major consequences for, I think, people's morale, people's health and so on. 
The important point here is that although complaining about litter is sometimes seen as a profoundly middle-class hobby, those who are disproportionately affected by the problem in South Africa are township residents. I spoke to Ntutizelo Vika from Cape Town's Social Justice Coalition, who says that as piles of rubbish build up, they attract rats, which bring disease, and little children also get sick from playing in the trash. One of the reasons that I think is because there's not enough bins, because when people go to the mall, there's always bins around, so they don't throw stuff on the floor at the mall. They always look for bins and they then quickly find a bin. So in their areas, it's hard to find a bin. That's what happens. Secondly, will be a lack of active citizenship. You know, sometimes people they saw a place is already dirty, so they thought maybe it's already dirty. So my paper or whatever I'm throwing is not gonna make any difference. You know, so they litter because it's already dirty. It's already there's already like things there. Then that's how they end up littering more. So there aren't enough bins. Tutuzela says the city doesn't empty what bins there are frequently enough. And perhaps most depressingly, it's really hard to get people excited about looking after their environment if it just seems like there's no way that environment will ever get any better. Tutuzela says that on occasion, he and his fellow activists lead cleanup campaigns, but even those can feel dispiriting and a bit pointless. Sometimes at HAC, we used to do cleanup campaigns to different areas, showing people how important it is to make sure that you live in a clean, healthy place. But the cleanup campaign is a, it's an event, you know. You can't do that every day. People need to make sure they clean for themselves. And even then, we'll struggle sometimes to find beds or gloves and other material to clean. So sometimes people will clean, but then their, their rubbish will not be collected. And then it end up piling up, you see. So you feel like your work just goes to waste because you've done all this cleaning, but then no one is coming to collect the rubbish. So sometimes people like they just get tired, you know, they get tired of doing these things because of how the city has been responding. Particularly in a context where the government isn't holding up its side of the bargain, it's hard to get people to change behavior, but it can be done. When we're back, a look at one of the most successful anti-littering campaigns of all time. Change is everywhere. Sometimes it's good, sometimes confusing, or so extraordinary that it challenges everyone and everything. But whatever change comes next, 91 will strive to do everything possible to make a positive change for your investments and for the world we live in. 91. Investing for a world of change. This season of Don't Shoot the Messenger is brought to you by 91. 91 is an authorized financial service provider. The history of anti-littering campaigns is worth touching on briefly here because it illustrates an important point. Anti-litter campaigns had their origins in the United States in the 1950s with the Keep America Beautiful campaign, which still exists today. Who funded that campaign? Coca-Cola and a bunch of other can and bottle producers. Because in this way, the focus was taken off the packaging and production of fast food and responsibility was placed onto individual litter bugs. And that's worth remembering because as I mentioned towards the start of the episode, 
Plastic and glass manufacturers in South Africa are often at the forefront of recycling initiatives or studies about litter and recycling. Because as long as we're talking about people's failure to recycle or to use rubbish bins, we're not talking about whether we really need all that plastic and glass. I've been thinking about anti-littering campaigns for the last two years. In April 2019, the Central City Improvement District in Cape Town, where I live, rolled out posters which struck me as particularly lame and patronizing. They were attempting to mimic Western Cape slang, I think. So they bore slogans like, Eish, my bra, stop littering, ne? I just could not imagine anyone seeing that and suddenly being inspired to find a bin. Around the same time, though, I happened to read about a vastly more successful campaign. Take a listen to this. Each year, we spend over $20 million picking up trash along our Texas highways. Messing with Texas isn't just an insult to the Lone Star State. It's a crime. Don't mess with Texas. That was blues guitarist Stevie Ray Vaughan voicing what is by now a very famous slogan, Don't Mess With Texas. The campaign came about in 1986. The American state of Texas had a huge litter problem on its hands, and officials had identified who the major perpetrators were. Young men, aged between 16 and 24. So they decided what they needed was a tough-sounding slogan, something that harnessed the pride of Texans in their state, together with a slight hint of belligerence a sense of how dare outsiders come in and spoil things for us. Don't mess with Texas. Since then, the phrase has become part of the DNA of the state. But more importantly, within the next 14 years, litter dropping in Texas was reduced by 72%. But we don't have to look so far afield for all the anti-litter innovation. I am Tash, I am from See the Bigger Picture, and I am one of the directors. This is Tash Krauss. In 2018, she helped start the organization See the Big Picture, that's C as in S-E-A, with a group of friends who did free diving together. And Tash says they founded this organization because of their growing horror at the amount of litter they were encountering on the beaches and in the water off the Cape Coast. We can already see how terrible plastic waste is on the marine life and birds and all sorts of wildlife, even in game reserves. If you go onto the internet and you search, you know, animals and plastic, you'll see that birds are being choked, fish are being uh, are drowning. They're in the water, but they've got a plastic bag over their heads because they've swum into it, and now they can't get fresh water circulating through their gills, so they're drowning, and they just don't understand what this is. Turtles are eating it. You know, they think a plastic bag is a jellyfish, because it looks exactly the same, you know. So as we contaminate the ocean and the waterways, it's in our water, it's in the air we breathe, because plastic never goes away. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and that's one of the terrible parts about it. See the Bigger Picture runs regular cleanup days on the Cape beaches, as well as other water systems like the Black River Canal. She says that after one of these days, her husband, Christopher Krauss, became disheartened at how much work it took to clean even relatively small areas. 
having up to like 150 people at beach cleans trying to pick up small amounts of waste, like tiny little microplastics. It's not feasible to sit there with like your fingers trying to pick up tiny little pieces of microplastics that are like five millimeters in size or less. So he got frustrated and he was like, I need to figure out a different way to do this, a more productive way of doing this. What he came up with, together with Tash's engineer father, Luigi Fascio, was essentially a giant vacuum cleaner that they've named the Enviro Buggy. And it works on the beach exactly as an ordinary vacuum cleaner would, sucking up the trash. It's just, it's so exciting because literally you can drive down the beach, hoover up the plastic waste, leaving as little impact on the beach itself while still having a maximum impact on how much uh, litter you can pick up that are microplastics in the five millimeters or less. See the Bigger Picture is currently raising funds to build a second, more advanced version of the prototype, which they're hoping can be leased out to municipalities and communities in need of a good hoovering. But as we've known for decades, picking up litter is only half the problem. The other half is what to do with it once it's picked. Especially since, as we said earlier, we're running out of places to store it. The answer is obviously recycling. But the most recent figures available from the Department of Environmental Affairs suggest that only 5% of South African households separate their waste. It's a good thing, then, that there are literally hundreds of thousands of people on our streets daily going about the business of recycling in ways that are often virtually unnoticed. They are South Africa's waste pickers, often stigmatized, more often ignored, but actually carrying out an absolutely indispensable service. Without them, South Africa would essentially have no recycling industry. This is, this is what we do for a living. This is recycling. Yeah. This stuff we get it from the dump site. In the evening, we bring it here. We recycle. We have to separate the white one, this side. Then there's green one, green boxes, one side. They must be separate so that when you go to sell it, they can recycle it according to the colors. These waste pickers filmed in Johannesburg are doing the dirty job of recycling for the city and for the residents and are saving municipalities from already exceeding the small amount of landfill space available. They do so in a way that generates much-needed and hard-earned income for their households. There have long been promises from the city of Johannesburg to formally integrate these waste pickers into the city's waste management system, but not much has been done. Perhaps the looming threat of a city with overflowing landfills will force overdue recognition of the waste pickers' contribution. As South Africa's urban populations continue to rocket upwards, so too does our waste production. It's very clear that we haven't got a grip on it and that what this problem amounts to is a health hazard, a tourism disincentive and an ecological time bomb. The good news is that South Africans can turn even trash into innovation and entrepreneurial opportunity. But that shouldn't blind us from putting pressure on supermarkets, fast food chains and other manufacturers to do their bit to reduce the source of all this junk.
Don't Shoot the Messenger is a podcast brought to you by The Daily Maverick. This episode was produced by Haji Mohammed Dauji and written by Rebecca Davis. Editing by Tevya Turok Shapiro. Sound mix by Bernard Kotze. And additional support from Catherine Kotze. You can listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on The Daily Maverick's website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more, subscribe to The Daily Maverick's newsletters and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Have any questions or comments about the latest episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger? Why not post them on the comments section of Apple Podcasts and we'll try and look into them for future episodes. You can also rate and review us. Our podcast is only possible because of your engagement and we want to know what you think. 